Boom, and we're back for another episode of AlphaCast. I'm here with Mike Winner, and uh, as always here with the affable Dr. Bear Paul Lando coming to you live and direct from the beautiful Smith River here in the great state of Jefferson, where freedom still reigns supreme. AlphaCast is all about- Affable, I, like, I can see you had your thesaurus out today, Michael, huh? Yes, I actually, yeah, I was I was thinking hard today. What is the what is the adjective of the week for Dr. Bear Lando? And that is actually one of the most uh, I think obvious ones, affable, approachable, likable, fellow Dr. Bear Lando, so easy to talk to. Uh, and actually a couple people said they love a bear hug from you for the holiday season. So you can give them a virtual bear hug, Bear. Uh, coming at you, coming uh, at everybody. And it's a cold one today. <laughs> Winter's been here for about a month already, so nothing new here. Uh, but we have Doria Kareem with us today. I want to get right into it because we have limited time, and this is a subject we could probably talk about for 10 hours straight today. Uh, our audience is very keen in on biogeometry, thanks to Dr. Lando uh, educating us about it for years. Uh, Bear, any points of biz before we hop right into this? No, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to the talk. So I want to devote all of every minute to uh, Doria here, who's been so kind to uh, to join us today. And uh, you know, I do talk a lot about biogeometry because it's one of my favorite things <laughs> and uh, one of my most useful tools in life. And um, today we get to hear from the master. So uh, let's just get right into it. Well, it's Beautiful. my pleasure to be here. So thank you for having me. Oh, it's so our pleasure. Uh, and coming live and direct from Egypt on this AlphaCast, we have Doria Karim uh, to explore the science of resonance and form. Uh, she's the director of Biogeometry Energy Systems. Uh, biogeometry has emerged as both a modern and ancient science that offers to balance the energy quality of our lives, environment, and technology. The applied science of biogeometry integrates the universal laws and natural dynamics of living energy systems that have been largely ignored in our modern civilization at the expense of our health and well-being. Biogeometry is based on a physics of quality, which includes a growing body of knowledge and scientific research that integrates rather than divides our worldview, thus narrowing the gap between the energy manifestations of spirituality and science. As a daughter of renowned Dr. Ibrahim Karim, Doria Karim grew up with biogeometry and presently serves as the director of Biogeometry Energy Systems Limited in Canada, where she heads numerous biogeometry projects and is a vital player of the biogeometry research and development team, which aims to reduce all forms of environmental stress on biological systems. Doria has worked directly under her father, affording the opportunity to gain experience in applying biogeometry in numerous fields, such as regional environmental electrosmog solutions, architecture and industrial design, music, animal farming, and agriculture, and serves as co-director of the design department. 
Doria is a building biology environmental consultant with degrees in both psychology and graphic design. She has lectured and taught in over eight countries, having given over 30 biogeometry trainings. On this episode, we'll go deep in the understanding of form through resonance as the key to personal health, humanizing modern technology, and how architecture can be used to center the human body. Bear Lando, this is core to everything we talk about, understanding the real science of the realm. Take it away, sir. Amazing. And again, Doria, thank you so much for making time for us today. Um, I think you'd appreciate that, uh, you know, I'm here at our farm and um, every planting bed has uh, uh, rock formations in certain numbers. Uh, trees are planted, uh, you know, finding the right orientation, uh, you know, with our uh, biogeometry devices, we map out uh, everywhere as far as the ley lines, not only in our house, but out on the farm. And, you know, it, it's really such a useful tool to help us know what to do. And, you know, I have a um, a chemistry lab, which uh, it's equipped to do very advanced what they used to call alchemy. And alchemy is so much um, uh, a mirror or vice versa of, uh, I think, the principles of biogeometry and that, you know, you're really talking about resonance and taking things apart, purifying them to their original centered form. And then, uh, you know, also more important, the practitioner or the chemist is actually needing to be a participant and in tune with the whole process, just like when you're using a radiesthesia device. You know, early on in my uh, medical training, when I first went out in private practice and left the hospital, I, uh, you know, really came to the conclusion quickly that, um, I was lacking an understanding of the more qualitative attributes of uh, medicine that I didn't get taught. So I had to go to a lot of schools elsewhere. That led me into the study of radiesthesia back in the later 70s, uh, you know, at the old French school and used a lot of devices and other instruments that were actually attuned more for medical, uh, you know, um, discernment like the Lecker and 10 and so forth. So uh, when biogeometry, uh, you know, uh, came into refinement, it I, I really uh, had full appreciation because it brings so many more dimensions as far as how to, you know, uh, just uh, additional understandings as well as techniques and instruments that I, uh, you know, are indispensable to me. So, uh, Doria, you know, there's so much I'd like to ask you and talk about today, but Maybe for the folks that don't understand what biogeometry is, and I know you've been asked this a thousand times, but if we could just start there, just a, a really nice, uh, uh, concise definition, and then we can get into some more questions, a little bit about your background. And then, as I said beforehand, uh, you know, I have a lot of my biogeometry tools here, so I thought if we could make this more tangible for our audience, we could go through some of these tools together. So thanks again, and um, and I'll let you just start maybe with uh, what is biogeometry. No, definitely, and I'll try to tie it into actually what you've been uh, what you just introduced. So biogeometry, if we talk about um, if we if we look at redesthesia, for example, um, in redesthesia, it's so quite often you find the use of especially French redesthesia, um, a color quality scale. So color quality scale which is uh, once we start dividing things into scales, this is a uh, very common approach, not just in redesthesia, but really in any um, qualitative approach or to the human body, where you start dividing any, you, the scale can be colors, the scale can be yin yang, the scale can be polarity. 
Now, biogeometry comes in where we have as part of, and in, in that, once you have a scale as a practitioner, then you're taught how to work with the scale. So you're taught, for example, the meaning of each quality as it comes up with a client, the meaning of each quality as it comes up in the land. Now, where biogeometry comes in is biogeometry is the goal of biogeometry is very specific and it's a energy quality that can be identified through the scale that we call BG3. And we call it BG3 because it's in resonance with three color qualities. And what it is that we're referring to is the energy of a sacred power spot. So this was actually the birth of biogeometry. Coming in and looking at if we have all of these qualitative scales and ways to assess and balance the body and we uh, in the um, in the intro mike mentioned my father so he's an architect and he was the one who was looking at these scales and saying well as an architect what how can i develop an environment using these scales that is beneficial to everybody if i'm using these scales and they're still within the realm of balancing or still within the realm of polarities then i can't actually use it to create this perfect home or this perfect environment that is balancing for everybody because we could be on opposite ends of the scale. And so this began the study of sacred power spots around the world with sacred power spots being the centering quality that is the goal of biogeometry. And I think this is important because the word centering has been used a lot. And a lot of times it's actually uh, confused with the word that we say that the confused with the word balancing, where if you come in and I'm introducing you to a balancing quality, it might not necessarily be the same one that we both need. But as a sacred power spot, that's the true definition of a centering quality, because it's a quality that will lead to a balanced state for any person, regardless of where they are in the scale. And so biogeometry is actually how can we access and recreate this energy quality so that we can bring in this environmental balance in all the work that we do. And this is, I think, the huge also other aspect of biogeometry is the role of the environment in health and looking at um, understanding a lot as that as practitioners, we like to assess the body and we like to assess the body in and of itself. So this is wrong. We have to give it this. We don't like to, we don't have a way or, or we don't necessarily assess the body as just a medium that's immersed in environmental energies and is responding to those. And of course, part of those is your own personal, vital, emotional, and mental and spiritual energy. But there's another large part that is a holistic, environmental, vital, emotional, mental, and spiritual energy quality that you're immersed in. And so the only way that we can actually achieve this state is through the energy exchange balance between the body and the environment. And this is really the cornerstone of biogeometry and all of our applications. Um, fantastic. Um, you know, we have members of our community that are very passionate about uh, correcting conditions in our atmosphere, you know, with the electrosmog and all the things that are affecting our health and our environment and uh ozone uh, or uh, sorry orgone uh, 
technologies are are a big part of that, and and I believe they're very effective. Uh, but biogeometry, I believe, brings another dimension in that you're not just trying to counteract, um, uh, you know, noxious waves in the atmosphere or different toxins in the atmosphere, but you're actually considering the human interaction and how they affect us. And so, you know, it's it's exactly what you're describing. Um, one quick comment, if you don't mind, you know, in the world of waveform physics, uh, there's a great distinction between center and balance. Mm -hmm. And uh, center, and, and uh, just see how this jives with your understanding. Um, center, of course, is uh, considered that uh, that pure light from consciousness that then, you know, is responsible for the polarities and the polarities by definition are out of balance. They're always seeking balance, but, you know, they cannot be in balance as long as you're in that world. And so uh, that's another thing I, I love that biogeometry brings to the tables, you know, because in the healing arts, we're always talking about balancing things and, and you know, not about centering things. And to me, there's a big distinction with that. No, I think that definition is uh, right on track with what I was saying. Um, and I think, and, and the idea is really this possibility that we can achieve uh, balancing through centering. That's the goal of biogeometry. So even when we talk about, um, when we talk about the human body, we talk about how it's possible to, or really we say our definition of spirituality is you'll find the term used a lot, especially by my father, excellence of action. And that term is also pretty, uh, I'd say it can be defined in many different ways, but he really defines it as um, a, a type of communication or connectivity with the whole. And so when we apply this, so this and this can be applied in actual um, actions that we do on a, on a daily basis. But when he when we bring it now to the human body, it's actually how much access we have going beyond exactly what you just mentioned, going beyond going if from really even looking at it, the archetypal template to the possible centering source. And with this communication and connectivity, when we can get it across all the different planes, the effect, the, the resultant balancing effect that we can see, not that balancing can be achieved in so many different ways, but the root of biogeometry really is, we say you're a doorman, you open up to bring this energy quality into your space and see what happens and of course electro smog is probably one of the main concerns that that we focus on in biogeometry um and i there's a lot there that we also focus on i would say a little bit differently in the sense of um i mean i know right before we you were mentioning that the audience is very knowledgeable in this field but just to differentiate also a little bit between the electromagnetic fields versus electrosmog, which which we approach as a compression wave phenomenon. And when you approach it as a compression wave phenomena, we understand that it's not just the field that we're dealing with. We're dealing with this standing fog that happens as a result of a movement. So whenever you have electromagnetic waves moving in the environment, we can pick up this compression wave effect that blankets larger areas. And it's also interesting because in biogeometry, we see that there's a connection between this type of non-electromagnetic effect that can be created or that is created by the movement of electromagnetism in the environment with our own emotional and mental state. And so when we see that, we understand that it's not just this 
physical effect that we're worried about. It's this complete multidimensional information exchange that we're trying to balance in the environment with, I mean, we'll say current environmental stressors. And you mentioned some also um, a few minutes ago. Dor- Doria, mm-hmm. is it safe to say you're coming from Egypt and there is a grand tradition, a, a lore really out of Egypt with the great Hermes Trismegistus and the hermetic principles that led to alchemy and mm-hmm. this concept that we live in a mental universe that the human form is really the generator of reality. Um, and I know a lot of this has been termed mystical by academia today. Would it be fair to say that biogeometry is actually grounding this sort of ancient tradition out of Egypt into the modern ethos of science? I hope so. <laughs> um, I hope it's doing that. <laughs> Um, I mean, one of the things that's interesting, I'd say that we bring up in in this concept of how we're recreating our world or this this what we're living in, basically. One of the things that a lot of times when we get um, people coming to our office and they want to they really want to understand uh, a lot more about ancient Egypt. And the first thing that we have to explain is that the biggest misinterpretation that happens whenever we're looking at ancient knowledge or Uh, even approaching sites in ancient Egypt, is you have to think of ancient man as a completely different species than us, not somebody that you can relate to. And it's, it's a trap if you think that you can see the world the way they see the world. And so we, we learn this in biogeometry because a lot of times it's only when we discover and, and measure something that we can go in and understand that that it was already known in a way, but it's, and and we talk about this really um, in regards to the shift from right brain perception to left brain perception. So the ability of nature or natural laws to speak through you and show up in your actions was a much more tangible thing. And I'm, I mean, one of the ways that and the special topics that this was explained to the students, we have classes that uh, beyond our advanced training called the special topics, that this was explained to the students as we showed them, for example, in ancient Egypt, um, the the 42 laws of, of math that you would be asked um, when they do the weighing of the heart, that you would be asked to basically see if the heart was lighter than a feather. And, and it was, everybody in that room was asked, so could you answer positively to these questions? And, you know, there was kind of a silent moment. And, um, and, but the idea was to show that we wouldn't be able to, in this modern age, do that because we are not living through this right brain connectivity. Now, it's not to say there's many reasons why we had that shift from the right brain to the left brain, and not to say that it's negative. Um, there's a lot that came out of it, but it's also what's causing a lot of tension now because a lot of people are seeing that there's a doorway that closed and they're seeing, well, how can we bring back that right brain access? Because you are right that we are living in a world that's um, being extremely affected by our own mental worldview. And unfortunately that mental worldview is not a, a positive one, so to say. Um, it does need a little bit more of that holistic 
effect to come in and help balance our actions, help balance how we look at things. And so this is really in what we're trying to say is important in biogeometry is how do we not feed when we're dealing with, and, and you can look at this as a society, you can look at this as a single individual. Um, how do we not feed that left brain perception cycle so that we're not trapped in it? And, you know, it's, it's, there's so many examples I can give you things, even just like how we look at time perception from a left brain. Um, you, you're, you're always losing time. There's always stuff to do. And that's, that's that mental reality that that's created from our perception. Now, very rarely you'll find some people in a cyclical time perception. This might go to Dr. Barr. You're saying you're at the farm, right? So farm, you're a bit more in tune with nature. You might start getting that balancing effect of cyclical time perception in the daily life, which can remove some stress and extremely unlikely will you find people in what we call stack time perception. Stack time perception is really completely in the right brain where you are moving through emotional and mental resonances of information uh, very fluidly and just really not caught within that linear time perception. So this is just one example of how we bring about stress in our own environment and also an explanation when we understand in ancient times how you would see a certain even fluidity when they would talk about time or movement through time. And you see this in ancient Egypt, you see this in some uh, shamanic practices, you see it in, um, well, really all, there's so many examples that we could give. Birta and Steiner made a great attempt to explain how we made that shift away from the right brain consciousness into what they described as a one-eyed colorblind perspective. And uh, what I love is uh, now we're actually getting practical measures, you know, through things like biogeometry to ground it in and not just, um, uh, you know, intellectualize about it. But I think that, you know, that was a great contribution back then. If you wouldn't mind, could we back up just a hair into BG3? Because that's the center of everything, right? Yeah, and exactly. uh, you mentioned that it's um, three waveforms that, you know, comprise BG3. And uh, we make a big deal out of it in the practice of biogeometry, uh, measuring it and, you know, bringing in a greater abundance of it and so forth. So uh, could you maybe just give a little bit more perspective on that? Yeah. So so going back, I mean, I'll mention what those color qualities are, first of all. And it's interesting because it actually ties into, um, I'll mention the first one, gold. And gold ties into, I mean, we started off this conversation talking about alchemy. And I'd say that one of the things that from well, from the training that we bring up really in relation to alchemy is the explanation of there's a difference when we talk about a color quality versus a color. So we'd separate between a color. A color is what, you know, a lot of people refer to as a frequency. Um, we try to differentiate between the term frequency and quality where frequency is not multidimensional in nature, but quality is it's part of a repetitive scale and we could do this by understanding this idea of the cross application of scales where you can begin to understand the properties of vibrational qualities through things such as color which help give us a scale in biogeometry and sound which help us understand harmonics and resonance and so when we look at alchemy we understand that what the alchemist is trying to do the goal is not to 
reproduce a grain of gold, uh, gold. It's to resonate with what we refer to as the higher harmonic of gold. And through that resonance, have a transformation where a piece of gold becomes like a certificate, not, um, not the gold. And so that brings us, so again, first quality is gold. Second quality is a higher harmonic of what we call ultraviolet. So that's a property that you find at dawn. Um, and then also it's, it has many properties, it has um, many similar effects to ultraviolet light. It's purifying water that's really, uh, you'll find water that is really uh, purified or in sacred power spots has that very strong ultraviolet quality. And then a quality that we call negative green, which as a color is a grayish color. And it's a type of communication property. And so what happened was this um, physical anesthesia and French anesthesia, as you know, it, it has a long history of working with different quality scales. And, and like any system, these different quality scales each have their effect, can be used for healing in a certain way. Um, those, those listening who are familiar with different types of um, color healing might uh, be in very familiar ground right now. But again, when um, when my father inherited this work as an architect, he started looking at, okay, so there was already this notion that um, saints had a very strong uh, negative green, um, had, had a lot of negative green in their system. Like we said, negative green is this, uh, I, is this communication property. So there was this idea that um, it could be used to evaluate how spiritual you are, which we would never do in biogeometry ever say how spiritual someone is or isn't. Um, and then there was also, they would say that they would find this quality a lot in the tombs of saints. So this was the birth of biogeometry where my father, when he was given this work said, it was said that there would be an Egyptian who would revive the science and revive it safely. Um, and so he started looking at sacred power spots and looking at, okay, so there was already this negative green as as an idea of spirituality, but it's not enough to identify a sacred power spot. So what other color qualities are present in a sacred power spot? And he found that with those three combined together, you can pick up the energy of a sacred power spot. Now I say combined together because when you start measuring these qualities separately, you can't combine them to create a power spot. They have to occur simultaneously. And so when you're able to detect them, then you can start seeing where they are in forms, where they are in numbers. So the first number that gives us BG3 is 16. And so those familiar with the Fibonacci series are going to understand why that 16 relates very much to the golden ratio. But then we have other numbers, 19, 28, 34, 43. These are all number qualities that will have these three energy qualities within them. They are BG3 numbers. So there's also angles that give us BG3. So really it becomes um, a science where we can bring in the centering quality. I mean, we talk a lot about bringing it into design, but it can be brought into any field. Wonderful. Um, and when it comes to BG3 and its three attributes, uh, do the different numbers or resonance um, have to do with the proportion of each of the three uh, waveforms? Because uh, BG3 can be comprised of different proportions of those three elements, right? So, I mean, 
the interesting part is that you have, so you have, um, for example, one angle, but if that angle is a BG3 angle, it will have those three qualities inherently. So one mm-hmm. angle inherently giving you those three qualities or um, mm-hmm. one color inherently giving you those three qualities, one location giving you those three qualities. So it's basically what we look for is those occurrences in nature, because what happens is if we look at, for example, um, a circle. So those familiar with the redesthesia might be familiar where you can have a, a vibrational color scale. And so if we look at this vibrational color scale, there's different parts around the scale, different angles. Yeah. And so I see, so that, for example, right there, the horizontal pendulum has exactly what I'm saying. It has a circle and you can see different color qualities that are placed according to the resonant location on a circle. And around this circle, we will find different angles. And if you wanna say colors, different angles or different uh, colors at this point, it's interchangeable, that have BG3. And so this for us is very interesting because basically if we look at in the physics of quality, you always find BG3 at the center of a shape, any shape. But if we take a circle, we find BG3 at the center. Now, it's interesting because the parts, the ang- the areas around the circle where we find BG3 is actually the manifestation of the centering quality into our reality. And this, these are the angles and colors that we use. And these are the angles and colors that we use so that then, let's say you are doing a type of, you're approaching something where you're trying to balance with a specific color. You're, you're not looking for the color. You're looking for the centering effect within the color to achieve that multidimensional healing. And why am I saying multidimensional? Because as soon as you have the center on the periphery, you've gone across all the planes of nature. When you deal with shapes and you can measure forms, things become much easier to measure. Because, for example, whenever we're dealing with um, what is, we talk about the planes of nature. So we talk about things like um, the, the different levels of the human body, the vital, emotional, mental, spiritual. So here we actually have shapes that are in resonance with all of these. Now, as soon as we understand where these shapes exist or where these levels exist in a shape, we can measure them. So even when we draw a circle, for example, we find that we start picking up energy from the center of the circle, that centering quality right in the middle. And then we expand out and we see that the circle from the outside, we see the physical shape. Now, from the center to the periphery is not empty space. And so we have, we begin to understand it's not empty space. And we begin to actually understand locations where we can measure what we call the forming process where you can measure that circle being formed from center to periphery. And then we have the shapes on that card, or I even see the human archetype ruler there. I'll, um, sorry to interrupt, I'll just talk so uh, the camera will be on me for a second. Um, this is a little card with all the different uh, shapes. And then we have, um, I have a whole stack of strips here also that we'll maybe talk about when we use in conjunction with the human archetype ruler. Um, and then also earlier, I was uh, holding up a, 
a pendulum that has uh, two dials and, you know, we're trained in biogeometry how to set those dials in order to measure the qualitative aspects of color. You know, when I'm in my lab and I uh, make things out there, I, uh, throughout the whole process, I do measurements to determine um, what changes are happening through my laboratory processes. And you'll see you know, different readings as far as the qualitative side of, uh, you know, what's going on through the alchemical laboratory process. And then also when I have finished products and I'm combining things back together, I use this quite a bit in order to find a harmonic that best works with certain proportions and things when I put them back together. So they're very useful for a number of things. Um, but, um, I don't want to interrupt your flow, but would it be helpful maybe to just uh, talk about uh, why the heck a pendulum, you know, has anything to do with anything and how it works? Um, let's see, what do I have? This is the IK, which uh, I love this one because you can find your little personal wavelength and and then, you know, measure things specific to uh, things and people. And then we have the, uh, you know, the the straight BG emitter here. And uh, can you maybe uh, tell us, you know, what these geometries do and how it works uh, and how you can actually pick up an accurate reading uh, with a pendulum-like device? So I think I'll also start just by explaining our goal with the pendulum, um, because a lot of times the most common practice with a pendulum is connection with the subconscious and training the the training the pendulum to react to uh, subconscious information, what we can sometimes refer to as automatisms. And this is what, this is what we call the school of mental dowsing. Now, biogeometry is different in that we don't actually train any students to have the pendulum respond to our own subconscious. We actually try to differentiate and do a disconnect from subconscious information when we're working with the pendulum and tune to qualitative scales. So what we mean by qualitative scales, you, I mean, just showing the, it's good. We, we've been speaking about the horizontal pendulum because that's an example of a qualitative scales, things like color quality scales. And so when we work with, so the first pendulum you showed was the IKUP and that one specifically, like you said, is, um, useful in what we call a personal wavelength measurement. And the personal wavelength measurement, actually what it does is that you tune into a person through by finding the wavelength, it's actually a length that is most in resonance with them. That length could also be translated on the horizontal pendulum to a color quality. A lot of times that color quality is actually related to the time you were born. You get a wavelength that allows us to become sensitive to either our own energy system, more sensitive to our own energy system, or to, if you're measuring somebody else, to their energy system. And from that, we can begin to see, we can begin to evaluate if something is in resonance with us, which we would say strengthening the energy field, or not in resonance with us, weakening the energy field. And the BG16 is a little bit different in that rather than trying to focus on um gaining resonance through wavelength, which you can do with, with any uh, pendulum as it becomes an extension of the body, you can actually um, 
use it. It's designed to detect BG3 through the quality. We talked about the 16, through quality of 16 disks. So it's designed to naturally detect BG3. And so the things that you mentioned early on saying, well, in the land, we, for example, whenever we're planting, we find the best angle to place a tree. That would be the useful pendulum to focus on. Now, there's another part I'd say that's very important in the biogeometry work that we should mention is our approach with having the center and quality be part of everything, as well as um, even in the evaluation of homes or the body. What we try to do is when we're going in and evaluating the body or evaluating a home, we don't actually go in. A lot of our focus today as energy workers is looking for problems and how to solve them. But what that ends up happening is the practitioner or the person is exposing themselves all the time to problems and they become tuned to finding problems. And so our work actually involves first centering and then doing an evaluation. So what that means is even if we're approaching the body or we're approaching the home, it doesn't matter to us in the beginning what the problem is. It matters to us to achieve a centered space. And whether that centered space is a centered space for the body or a centered space for the home, that's the goal. Because it doesn't. if you don't achieve that, then it doesn't matter. Any, any solution that you place isn't going to work. It's not going to be sustainable. So first we achieve the centered state. Then we do our evaluation. This is an important practice because the work actually strengthens our energy system versus becoming depleting to our energy system. And so this is where the BG16, even though when we talk about when we first introduced personal wavelength, a lot of people will gravitate towards that tool because it gives you more information about yourself. Once you've worked with biogeometry for a while, it's actually just looking and recreating BG3 that, that we see as the path that we need to take both for ourselves and our clients and, and the general approach. So I'd say also a good example that people um, can begin to understand with physical redesthesia is something like looking for water because um, looking for water is a is leans actually more towards physical redesthesia than it does to mental dowsing because your body is actually a witness for water and what you do is you hold something at you know the most common is people will see like a like a wooden stick that's that somebody's holding like this. And what it's allowing you to do is pick up the resonance once you've picked up, once you've detected water in the ground. Now, some people do this practice subconsciously, but you don't need to. All you need to do at this point is to become that vibrational witness for water. And once the resonance is there, you will see the reaction. So you'll find this also commonly a lot in other physical redesthesia pendulums. Uh, not by geometry ones, but if somebody's looking for something or trying to pick up something, we don't go into asking questions. They will actually have pendulums with things like pendulums that you can even open up and put the substance you're looking for inside. Or sometimes you'll carry the substance that you're looking for so that you try to serve or try to become the resonant vibrational witness of the measurement. And... Um... <clears throat> Since since you're talking about looking for water, you know, that would maybe be a good segue into ley lines, you know, energy lines actually in the earth. And 
And as I held up this um, this uh, horizontal um, pendulum before that has all the different color qualities that uh, you know you dial in to create an angle so that you can test with the pendulum, you can also add on these little uh, metal bars at the bottom that uh, you know can discern different ley lines in the uh, in your house, you know, to see if they're uh, detrimental or or beneficial where you know you sleep or or maybe out on the farm here if there's something that's uh, you know maybe not good for a planting bed. So could you maybe talk a little bit about these ley lines, how these are picked up, and and why it's a good idea to know about them? I mean, there's two things I'll say. So one of the great things is those tools that we have. The it's there. So there's what we call the horizontal pendulum, and then there's the vertical pendulum, which takes those two rods. Yeah, and so here's that the, uh, here's the vertical in case anybody wants to see it. And uh, before I was holding up the uh, horizontal, the horizontal, and it's just you can see there the dials are either in a vertical or horizontal orientation. So those familiar with French radiesthesia might be aware that in in French radiesthesia tools, the vertical and horizontal qualities, a lot of times you would be finding them using the same pendulum. They were not separated. And actually when biogeometry was first taught, there was uh, the virtual cone pendulum was part of the curriculum and the virtual cone has where you actually pick up the vertical and horizontal in the same pendulum. But, but we've divided them completely for accuracy as well as to not confuse what you're measuring. And so the horizontal pendulum is actually used to measure beneficial qualities and the vertical pendulum would be more for harmful energy qualities. So beneficial is in, like you just mentioned, if we're talking about, um, uh, you know, geopathic stress or ley lines, you'd be looking at the horizontal pendulum uh, for ley lines or much easier, the BG16, which will just combine the three qualities for you. Um, and then if we're looking at stressful areas, the vertical pendulum. Now the vertical pendulum is actually really, um, really a great tool because it allows you to pick up stressful areas in the home, even after they've been corrected. And so this is actually what we do, is we will correct the space, we will center it, and then do a mapping. And that's important because it changes the relationship of the practitioner to the space, everybody in the home to the space. So we're not going in and just identifying um, the weak areas and then trying to correct them. We're identifying the weak areas and verifying that we've already corrected them by the time we're doing that. And so this will allow you to either find areas to avoid planting, like you said, um, or areas that you're actually correct, areas that you might focus a correction on. Um, and, and more than that, of course, once we start understanding the nature of geopathic stress, we understand that there's specific qualities in geopathic stress, namely a quality that we call vertical negative green. So we talked about negative green being this um, communication and we've talked about it as a spiritual energy quality. So we do differentiate, there's two aspects to it. So there's one, for example, that you will find horizontal negative green in prayer. Vertical negative green would be more in things such as um, x-rays, for example, where you still have this penetrative communicative property, but it's not necessarily in a centered state or a balanced state. And so you will find this in things like geopathic stress or lines um, in the land, like, like you're mentioning. And it's important to also understand that vertical negative green sources in our environment are in resonance. 
just like BG3 and horizontal negative green sources in our environment are in resonance. So when we begin to work on the environment as a whole, we're not just, we begin to then lessen the effect of all of vertical negative green on our system. And what does that mean? That means things, not just the, um, the geopathic stress, things such as electromagnetic fields, things such as disease, things such as, um, even things such as negative mental thoughts and emotions will create this energy quality in the environment. So those two tools, definitely when you're looking at the land, will allow you to have a general assessment of the land. And then with your BG16 there, coupled with that human archetype ruler, I mean, if we're going to, I think, mention the work, that's probably the most important tool. Because what does that human archetype ruler do? Is it allows us to actually, when we're working, and we need a scale, kind of an environmental scale. So that's that ruler. Here's uh, here's an archetype ruler, if anybody wants to see them. This is uh, my favorite of all of them. I use this all the time. And what's great about it, we can talk more about it uh, later, but um, the wonderful thing about biogeometry is you're going beyond that quantitative time and space continuum and uh, you can affect anything, anybody, anywhere at any time without being there with them. So please go on. And so the root, well, the ruler is actually a good example of how we assess that a space or the body is centered. And so we actually check once we have, because once you have all of these, again, um, a lot of times it's very common to just put specific solutions on lines or areas and and try to work with the land in that way. But uh, we don't do this approach because that's working with the land divided. So we never, we never, we never approach the body or land as something that is not one system. We first approach it as how do we can how can we get the centering quality across the whole system? And so we will put things like general shapes around the whole area or general shapes on the body so that we're raising that centering level. And we use that ruler as our first assessment scale. And so that ruler, for example, will tell us, okay, we have the centering quality on the vital level. We have that centering quality on the emotional level, on the mental level. And of course, we connect it to a witness of the land. We connect it to a vibrational witness of the space to get that evaluation. And that goes back to that uh, first definition that we gave, which is connectivity across all the planes and getting a sustainable environmental solution. We need to have that centered. Um, we need to achieve a certain center centering effect across all the planes to know that we have a sustainable solution for um, for things to hold. And so um, that really is the goal of the work that we're doing. And then once we have that, then we go in and we'll place specific solutions on the areas of geopathic stress or try to emphasize the areas where we have a power spot. And then when you have a larger piece of land, of course, then you can come in with ideas of um, how, like we can then look at different master planning ideas that have been there since ancient times, where they would identify the main, I mean, if we look at um, in ancient Egypt, you would, of course, identify the main power spots and place a huge pyramid on top of them, a huge emitter, uh, on top of them to have that energy quality emitting throughout the space. And so, or you can look at, for example, when we look at uh, Roman times where they would identify the main ley lines and 
the crossing of the main lines would be the navel of the city. Roads would be planned according to this. And so we do the same thing, for example, in a piece of land. If you can identify a natural power spot in the land, how are you gonna incorporate it? Are we gonna create pathways in between power spots? Just like pilgrimage roads throughout the, throughout the ages, are we gonna create pathways? How are we gonna incorporate this power spot into a place where we can gather? If we're looking at a larger community, what can we place on that? Is it a school? Is it, um, I mean, we don't, uh, there's no Pharaoh's house that we're placing now, but that would have been one of the criterias. But is it a school? Is it a market? Um, is it a water source, right? So this is important. Can we create our water source to be within this power spot? Is it a park? Um, so this is this is the idea that you can apply it. You can apply these principles from the smallest to the largest uh, scale. I have a question, so, Bear, you, that go ahead, Mike. might help a little bit people that are new to this. I love the analytics we're seeing with all these measurement tools. And then, Doria, you mentioned um, then the solutions. Now, are these solutions all physical shapes being placed in the environment? Or are we also talking about etheric shapes, thought forms, stuff like that? So there is this... I'll say that also one of the things that we do try to emphasize a lot is we tend to forget um, the strength of the physical. And so a lot of times uh, we talk about the shapes anchoring, being our anchoring solutions. There's a lot that we can do. So there's a lot of rituals and things that occur on higher levels that we can do, even clearing and cleansing rituals, different things like that. But then we we tend to forget that those rituals are part of an environment that's always in constant information exchange. So when you have a science of shape, you actually begin to see that you can tangibly shape the environment so that it affects the higher levels. And so a lot of times, and this is how we approach it in biogeometry, because there's so much, and you'll actually find this approach as well in ancient Egypt, where the physical, a lot of times we're, we're, we, try to, we try to move away from the physical versus seeing it as an opportunity. And we don't look at this in biogeometry. It's not that the higher levels are vibrating at higher frequencies that we're moving towards and trying to move away from the physical. If anything, it should be very clear to everybody that the easiest way to change your mental and emotional and vital level is through physical action. And this doesn't need biogeometry. To, to see it's physical, positive physical action will have a ripple effect across vital, emotional, and mental planes. I, you know, I could say even more strongly than positive thoughts and emotions. Positive thoughts and emotions will not have a strong effect on the physical level as physical action, as positive physical action will have on mental, emotional um, levels. And so it's the same idea actually with the shapes. You can put in so much effort and energy and you can work on these higher levels. You can put in all of this energy, um, this effort and energy to achieve the effects through work on just the higher levels. But the, first of all, the idea that the levels are separate is um, it, it's, we have to we have to speak about them as separate, but at the end of the day, even the human archetype ruler, a lot of times we have to explain that it's it's an evaluation tool because you can't ever have 
a balanced physical state without a balanced vital, emotional, and mental state. You can't have a balanced emotional, mental state without a balanced vital and physical state. So it's a it's a little bit of a catch twenty two that we separate them and talk about them um, because you actually technically can't separate them. But that's the idea now is that the physical shapes make the work so much easier. It's like you can put in. There's all of these things that we can do with our etheric bodies, things that you can achieve, things such as you can um, move things, for example, with you, there's people who can move things with, um, with their mind, but they will train for many, 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 many years to be able to achieve something like this and put in so much energy. And with shapes, it's just an easy key. You begin to learn shape, the language of shapes, and you have a key where you're not putting in as much effort to try to create shapes that will stay on these higher levels. And so even when we're doing things, a lot of the, um, a lot of times when we do visualizations, we will actually tell students to, so for example, we have a visualization where we imagine something we call the net. And, you know, a lot of times you can do these visualizations without using physical action, of course, but you will find that we, when we teach it, we actually teach everybody to do it with a physical action. Imagine that you're pulling up this net to help cleanse the space. And the idea is that even that physical action helps create the mental energy quality. And that's much easier than trying to get the mental energy quality to recreate the physical effect. So that's why you'll always find us using shapes. It's not to say that we don't have a lot of students who say, I was able to do this remotely or this works in this way. I never had to put the solutions there. It's it's it could happen. And but then you're always going back and checking and checking and checking and you don't necessarily have a sustainable solution. Yeah, it's how we relate health to the body here and why we are into physical activity and athletics and surfing and and digging holes on the farm because that that direct interplay with your physiology, we live on a physical realm and that is how we can measure things and how we know things are working. It's like, uh, that's brilliant. Thanks so much. I have one more question, Bear, on the BG3 thing, because I'm very new to all this. I've been gleaning this from Bear for years, but I haven't taken any coursework or anything. On the BG3, is there a direct correlation to nature in itself? I'm thinking sort of like, for instance, uh, if you're familiar with Star Wars, the Mitochlorians were where the force, like Yoda lived in the Dagobah system because of the dense nature there. Is there a direct relationship between nature in that sense? And then my second part to that question is, um, does nature create the natural shapes in of itself that increase that? that proper resonance um okay so i i think to answer this question and i hope this actually answers this question is we're gonna say in in biogeometry we the first question to actually ask is is why is something formed the way it's formed um or what's the purpose of shape because when we look at things it you you know why is it we we talk about an archetypal template for example and we so we'll say an archetypal template for a human being why two eyes why one head? And so when we begin to study this, we begin to understand shapes. The purpose of shapes is to contain energy. And when we begin, when we can take the leap of understanding, so far, I'd say 
when we approach things related to healing, everybody's okay with approaching. If if we talk about things such as healing with sound, most people will be like, okay, yeah, I've done that. I've gone to a sound bath. Healing with color or light now, people are with me, okay. And then I go healing with shapes. People are like, whoa, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, maybe now with a little bit of sacred geometry uh, coming becoming more popular. Uh, pyramids is a good example, um, but it's still not very familiar. But when we step back and we understand that that basically sound and color, these are just ways of differentiating different vibrations. And they will each have a different effect on um, on our brain. And so we come back now and we look at shape as an energy quality. And when we we now we begin to study things such as if if people are familiar with things like a chakra system, we talked about shapes, all shapes having centers or these BG3, this, this BG3 at its center. Now, the human archetype ruler is actually called the human archetype ruler because it's it was developed based on if you look at uh, in ancient Egypt in the temples there was certain proportions that they would draw the human being in they seemed very rigid and they were referred to as archetypal proportions and what actually ends up happening is when you have a simple shape like a circle I can tell you oh there's bg3 right in the middle now take a shape that's the shape of a human being and it's not just one center that we're dealing with then we begin to study the shape and it happened to be that when we studied the shape, just like we find it in the center of a circle, we study the shape of the human archetype, you find it across the areas that are referred to as the chakras and other systems. Now, you can measure this on a shape of a human being. You don't need an actual human being. And so a lot of times when I say this, this is where even in class, we had we just finished an advanced training and there was a long discussion about this where we had to explain that yes that shape is a form is a forming process and we can measure just within the shape these energy vortices that people really refer to even as things like the birth of the life force in the system so that brings us to nature when we understand that it's the way that something is formed or shaped actually deals with how it exchanges energy in the environment we find the same thing in nature in nature, the every shape or every form is based on a template that is exchanging information on all of these levels. And so this is where we would find that bridge between biogeometry and natural forms. Now, of course, there's a lot of things that we can actually, I can give you specific examples um, where we found that, for example, when um, we are looking at developing a classroom for autistic children with the autistic society here in Egypt and looking at the types of shapes that are uh, that can cause imbalances and 90 degree angles was a major one and you can look at 90 degree angles as not being a very natural phenomenon they, they call those the angles angles of sorrow so there's uh, and then there's a few um I mean I I was uh I know also I was seeing, there was a really good film after I mentioned that sometimes and somebody said you should watch that film with, um, I think it's called Temple Graydon. And she had shown even the the cows, how you would take them through different pathways, avoiding these angles. And there was a different, um, they, they would react differently to how they would move throughout. I don't want to, I'm 
don't have the exact fact, but that's the general idea. They would move very differently in the space with less stress. And she was and autistic so, too, wasn't she? Yeah, and she was autistic too. Um, and so things like 90 degree angles, perfect spheres, giving them these balls that are just like perfect spheres as toys wasn't uh, also was a little bit stressful. So these perfect shapes that we don't really find in nature, um, we're finding we're causing stress. Now, the interesting thing also for us is that when we look at um, when we look at things such as autism and ADHD and looking at those, uh, when we were looking at creating those classrooms, whenever we said anything was imbalanced uh, for, for somebody who's autistic or somebody who's um, had ADD or ADHD or, um, as my father likes to say, had special abilities, um, it, those things were all imbalancing for all of us. It wasn't just specifically that there might be more sensitivity that they were getting from having these shapes all around them, these sharp uh, 90 degree angles. And so we do begin to see that our, I mean, it's, it's very also easy to see that the way that we built is not in tune with nature in any way. And, um, you know, it's uh, like we mentioned in the intro, I mean, we did talk, I, I do, um, I do have the, my, my consult, my consultation as a building biologist, I don't practice as much more focused on biogeometry, but it was important for me because we work with a lot of building biologists. And in that school, you can already begin to see, especially in North America, how after World War II, things became much more of a consumer society and how we can build houses quickly. And part of that also was how we can separate ourselves from nature. How can we make sure that everything is insulated and we are kind of boxed up inside? And so this is, I think, a very... Um, it's, it's, it applies to everything that we are looking at in terms of the body, the space, where we don't look at everything as being a layer of information exchange. So with biogeometry, we can uh, reconstitute that natural medium or BG3 in any space, right? So to me, it seems like a perfect solution. Um, you know, a lot of the devices and technologies out there that are, you know, meant to help our biology and, and to deal with all the noxious, uh, noxious uh, substances that are aimed at us, you know, are about kind of buffering or blocking. But by uh, the, the way I like to think about biogeometry is you have a dirty sidewalk and, you know, uh, all you do is you open up an aqueduct and, and the pressure of that nice new clean water is just going to overcome anything on a dirty sidewalk. So, um, you know, it's, it's the same thing in the practice of medicine. Uh, there's a reason why doctors don't live as long as regular people. <laughs> and it's because we are always focused on what's wrong, the problem, and then uh, unwittingly immersing ourselves in those, uh, you know, vertical waveforms. And, uh, you know, it takes its toll on our own body. And what I love about biogeometry and biotrain medicine, same thing. You're not focused on the problem. You're focused on functionality and how to get things centered again. And in uh, biogeometry, you have the dimension of having devices where if you are measuring vertical waves, you can protect yourself at the same time. 
and know that you don't want to overstay your welcome. You get your information. You maybe wear your medallion and you know uh, uh, a biogeometry signature ring. You know whatever things on your own body that are going to reconfigure things that are more compatible with your biology. So um, uh, yeah, fantastic. Um, bear, there's a couple bear, things I good... really like. Bear, would a good visual of this be, and Doria, uh, say a flowing river is the life stream that we're all in. We're all, we don't see it per se. And if you put a cube in, it, those sharp angles are cutting at that water. It's blocking it. Where if you have nature in a stream or in a river is all rounded rocks for that reason. And it flows through. So that's the shapes we're talking about. So when we have a shape in our room, um, in our space, we might think that's just a shape, but there's a field and we're all connected and it's and it's shaping our reality by having that literal physical shape in our in our area. Is that a good analogy? So we have uh, maybe okay. maybe we go through a, a few gadgets here and uh, you know they're uh, ranging from uh, you know general folks without any training that can benefit with biogeometry all the way to advanced students. And, uh, you know, the most basic one is uh, the, the cube here that I keep in my office because it's full of electronics in here. Can you explain a little bit about that? So the cube actually came from, um, we had probably the most known application of biogeometry when it comes to electrosmog is, so I should say my, my father, um, he's uh, an architect, uh, an engineer who graduated from ETH in Zurich. So that's the technical school of Zurich. Uh, and there was um, a two, well, started off as one area, Hamburg in Switzerland, where they installed a cell tower. And that's called the Hamburg emitter. And uh, they installed yeah, a just, cell uh, tower. If folks want to visualize that, this is uh, what we're going to be talking about here. And uh, in biogeometry, as students, we learn how to dial this in and, uh, you know, achieve what Dory is about to explain to us. So um, they installed a cell tower and there was a lot of complaints of physical problems and mental emotional problems coming in. And they said, as well as things such as um, there was issues with the animals, they were seeing more and more um, cows having miscarriages. There was a lot of ecological um, imbalances that they were noticing. And then some people were getting headaches to the point where they were sleeping underground. And so they just said, you know, there's a video where they're saying we're going to blow up this tower if nobody gets us a solution. Uh, so there was a colleague of my father's or a friend who knew of his, who knew of biogeometry um, and said, uh, you think you can provide a solution? And so we went in and provided a solution, I would say on the tower, but there's also full scale solutions in um, in the area, there's different shapes placed all around, but on the actual tower. So it's, it was placed in a church placed in a church was also another reason that we think that there was a huge impact because the church itself was on a power spot and was a gathering space for the community. And so you could see when you go up in the church, there was different antennas on the windows of all the church. And on the back of them, there's actually that shape that you just mentioned, uh, the Hamburg emitter being placed on, on the back. And so there was a study done um, a week later where the, the news came and said, the residents said, well, our symptoms are gone. And then two years later, there was a follow-up as well, where it's they said, no, our symptoms are still gone. And 
this was actually repeated in another town in uh, Hitchburg, Switzerland. And it was in Hitchburg, there was also different shapes buried. And so people started asking for, so we have, we do have a lot of products that maybe we've mentioned, such as, I mean, you can see there's a lot there and we've talked about the pendant and different things like that. I, one of the things about biogeometry is um, we're not a product-based company in the sense that the product actually never existed before the research. And so with the cube, what ended up happening is people said, well, how can we do this in our community? And in Switzerland, it was different because we had the support of Swisscom. They gave us access to the towers. The community gave us access to everything. We to, There was the government support. There was access from the community. Um, and so this is where the cube comes in. It looks like a cube with little notches and numbers, but actually every single one of those notches is like a miniature shape that's like the Hamburg emitter embedded in. And it has all of those shapes that were buried in Hitchburg, for example, or placed in different areas in Hamburg. So again, it looks like tiny little notches. You can see them maybe on the side. I don't know if you can see that okay in the camera there. It's Yeah, I think like they can see little, just looks like strokes. Yeah, awesome. Anyway, that's always on my desk and we've got another one in the living room. So go ahead, yeah, Doreen. And you have a Hamburg also emitter there as well. So yeah. um, is that glass? What's that material? Plastic. Okay. Just but I'm just thinking right now, because my son has a 3D printer, um, you know, being able to get this out more by giving the schematics and people buying those or whatever, open sourcing those so people can print those at their home. I mean, with the with a lot you of are, the tools, they have to be uh, adjusted. Ahead. So, like, because because we were saying about dialing in the Hamburg emitter, so a lot of times they come with um, you. They actually on the on the emitter, it's not just the shape, but then you adjust an angle on the shape. And so when you're when you're trying to that way, you can point this towards cell phone, but you can also point it towards things such as uh, satellite dishes and different things like that. But definitely, I mean, one of the goals of biogeometry, I mean, we've talked a lot about, we we mentioned it in the intro, but we brought up architects um, and designers. One of the huge goals of biogeometry is to teach design principles so that then anybody with a 3D printer can create products and things that have this energy quality within them. And so it depends now what your obviously there's going to be. So, for example, we have we have furniture that is created along these lines, carpets created along these lines. And our our big, big goal is for this to be we we want to be careful as and this is now as a science as our goal. There's certain shapes that we have, but but we don't want even when we showed things like the autistic classrooms and you think of the word biogeometry, if you look at the shape of the autistic classroom, you could say it's quite geometric. Um, and then, and even when we get, when we see the shapes of the stands here. And so what we want to always do is we try to do this approach where we try, we're trying to have it as a language that anybody who's interested in any type of design can implement into their work without it being a style that we've superimposed. Because if it just becomes a set of shapes or a set of numbers, then 
we've just lost the actual basis of what we call the physics of quality. And this is actually really important because there's a larger goal there when we understand the when we understand the ability to have a science based on a qualitative scale versus that mental subconscious information is that if you were to come to the biometry community and I would say it's the only place where I've seen people from every single type of energy work background and it doesn't have to be energy even um, MDs even who can actually learn what we call the physics of quality and suddenly start speaking common ground because we we've explained things in the terms of a vibrational scale and that's a huge goal because one of the things that we've seen a lot is that we want to be careful the reason the physics of quality and biometry is so important is right now a lot of the alternative solutions are coming out as a reaction to our medical or modern system failing in some areas and that in a way makes them emerge positively, but on shaky ground. And so in the same principle, if they emerge without their own scale. So, so to give you an example, we do a lot of research in biogeometry that's considered mainstream. There's even published peer-reviewed papers. But nobody's, um, if people see that as the highest bar, right? When we say, and, and we're, we, obviously it's important to prove that what you have works. So, so things like having the PhDs and thesis and papers and biogeometry is really important. But then what if we were, were to come to say, okay, so this is you evaluating us or the mainstream evaluating us. But what if we would come to say, there's more to it than that. There's actually, now we have a scale where we can evaluate your solution and say, okay, so as a, as a physical solution, it's great. But as a multidimensional energy solution, it's lacking this and this and this and this. And that's actually what that physics of quality gives us. And so it's actually one of the reasons why um, you will find, even though it's there, like if you go, for example, for access to the shapes, I mean, I'll say this, if you go on the website, we have a paper emitter that anybody can download and you can create or you can cut out the shape and create a pendant, but you just have to clear it every day wash it with salt and water. But at the end of the day, the reason that we don't have it so much where we're saying, okay, so everybody put this shape everywhere is because we want to come back and explain there's actually, if you can understand the laws that we call the physics of quality, then you can recreate it in every single field that you're interested in. And our really our community has done that. Like if there's anything, um, like a lot of times I'll be like, okay, so, or I come up with something and I think of, okay, how can I bring biogeometry into that or things like that? Even just going into the, the student groups, they also help um, show us how other professionals have implemented these principles in their fields. And uh, the great attribute is customization because uh, the, the first thing that struck me is uh, off about, you know, conventional and even alternative medicine that I learned later on is we have all these recipe approaches. And with biogeometry, you're really accommodating the unique uh, biogeometrical composition of every single life form. Um, can you maybe contrast a little bit about maybe some of our friends in our community that are using orgone 
uh, devices, you know, to uh, combat electro uh, smog and things like that versus uh, biogeometry. I know we've already kind of touched on it and explained a little bit, but maybe the extra dimension of biogeometry uh, might bring to the table and why I I think it's greatly overlooked uh, with a lot of, uh, you know, our community that's into a lot of other technologies that are great, but I think we can go the next level with biogeometry. I mean, I'll say that what I could bring to the table is the orgon devices that I've seen from students and the adjustments mm -hmm. that they've had to make. So one of the things, for example, is a lot of times the shapes that they're in. Um, and so a lot of times you'll find them in a pyramid shape or in a hemispherical shape. And it's important to understand that, that these two shapes are actually what we call energy emitters. And if we understand things like in sacred architecture, you would have the domes placed on power spots. In, in Egypt, the pyramids are placed on a power spot. So what's very important is that these shapes, pyramids and domes, um, they actually need, so, so they can be both as a perfect hemisphere and a, and a, and a pyramid as copied with four-sided pyramid. These are actually energy emitting shapes, but they need a type of correction. So when we look at pyramids, actually most people aren't aware that the Great Pyramid is eight-sided. It has a little indent, and that creates what we call a type of clockwise uh, rotation and then deals also with the principles of eight. And with a hemisphere, a lot of times when you look at dome structures and how they're placed on power spots, uh, they're never perfect domes. They're either, they either are, um, you have them elongated on the bottom or you have an element on the top. And all of these actually serve to make sure that we have the emitting property that is the positive aspect of negative green and not the negative aspect of uh, negative green. And, and people who are familiar with pyramids, they're aware of this information, but haven't pieced it together. People who are really interested in pyramid shapes are completely aware that pyramid shapes are dehydrating, but yet they will still do things like meditate below them. And so they, it's, they're aware of that. They just haven't assimilated that. Dehydrating means it's pulling out life force energy from our system um, versus that it's increasing that. And maybe it shouldn't be shaped that you meditate necessarily under. It's the same thing with, with creating orgone emitters. You don't want to create them in these two shapes. And then more than that, since they are energy emitters, you have to be very aware of the energy that they are emitting. So you have to have a way of evaluating the effect. And so for different people, that might show up in different ways. And by geometry for us, if I see a shape that has vertical negative green, which a lot of times I do see them in hemisphere and pyramid shapes, it doesn't matter to me what they're made out of. The shape itself is resonating with electromagnetic fields. So it's not actually, it cannot transmute the vertical negative green effect if if the shape itself has that. And, and then there's a, a lot of well known, there's a well-known French radiesthesias that uh, had a very unfortunate experience with that, right? <laughs> is, is that the, the, uh, what was used by the Egyptians in mummification procedures, do you think? I mean, you have, they were of course aware of different shapes that have different dehydrating types of effects. And so, um, I mean, one of the things that they did actually find, I know with the mummies is that when they moved them to areas, there's there's also, it, it, 
they could have been using vertical negative green for dehydration, but not the same type of effect that we're finding from electricity today, because there's a lot of cases where they, when they would move the mummies, the deterioration would start very fast. And they weren't sure why they were no longer being preserved the same way that they were preserved in their original locations. And you will see um, more and more, one of the big things in biogeometry that we try to say is stop moving things. Um, stop putting things, stop moving things in some museums, leave them to be where they are. Uh, stop moving sites, especially rebuilding them. Um, and also just try to recreate kind of the, keep the things, the, the sacredness around certain things and maybe don't have mummies on display in museums and don't, um, don't change sites or alter things the way that we are doing because there's a lot more to it than um, what meets the eye. So Doria, there's there's so much more I'd love to talk about, but in our uh, last few minutes here, could we at least touch upon biosignatures? Um, these are just biosignature strips that I use on my archetype ruler. I've uh, kind of made a whole set of them there so I can do some quick analysis. And, uh, you know, acupuncture to me that I've practiced for many years is about creating the continuity between ourselves and what we think of as our external uh, system. But biogeometry brings a whole new element to it, which are the energy pathways innate to every single tissue of the body. So, um, you know, uh, another great dimension that you can bring to uh, the practice of medicine. I mean, one of the things I'll say, I mean, I mentioned how the cube came from Hamburg and Hitchburg. So by signatures, by signatures actually came from, you just you just said it yourself, um, those familiar with the acupuncture and the meridian system, you could, those familiar with that system, that's it, you're already aware that any, that shape of the human body has lines running, energy lines running through it. Now, if we can if we can make the leap to understand that this exists not in the shape of the human body just the shape of the human body but the shape of every organ has energy lines running through it and this would be the basis of understanding biosignatures and so biosignatures are and this is where we begin to see it's important to understand that even when we draw something like a line there's an energy flow movement there we look at it and we think that this is stagnant but when we talk about even the forming process of the line we talk about you can measure the start of the line you can measure the end of the line and it's always really interesting because the start of a line has that ultraviolet quality which actually relates to a sunrise the end of the line to sunset so it really begins to also tie in this whole idea of um cyclicality and as above so below and how that's we have my favorite that's my favorite biogeometry exercise. And, uh, you know, just so when your intention uh, goes now, and, you know, and you can so measure it, it, all, it brings so many things begins. into Sorry, uh, I was I was talking over there. Sorry, could you say that again? No, I don't think you talked over me. Or there maybe there was a lag oh, in the okay. audio, but. Um, yeah, so I was saying, so with the biosignature, we can begin to study the organ energy flow. And so you can begin now, just imagine that there's an energy flow that's supposed to look like this in the body. And then something happens where that energy flow becomes distorted. So maybe it's moving something like this. Now, what we need to introduce, if we can introduce within the energy system, the original energy flow, 
then there will be information exchange between them. They will start to balance each other out. Now that's where our pendant comes in or the ring that you were also showing. So I have it as the pendant and it has all of these different biosignatures on it. And so the pendant actually came from uh, hepatitis C research where in Egypt they were studying, there was a, a they were doing in um, at Azhar University, the medical department was doing a comparative study of available solutions for hepatitis C. And they asked if biogeometry could be part of the study. And at that time, they didn't call it a pendant. They called it a chip because it was like a little plastic thing with shapes. And um, and then the, the, the head of the, the dean of the university actually went out on TV and explained that, okay, so we're actually seeing an effect from these shapes. We're, we're doing all of our protocols. We have everything, but we are seeing um, this effect from the shapes. The study is still going to continue. We're going to have more uh, stages going on. And actually, the effect that he was talking about was a 90% normalizing of liver enzymes. And um, this was, and for, the, for a lot of the patients who could afford testing, about two-thirds would show viral clearance. And so he went out and said that. Then the study got shut down for some reasons and people tried to put funding towards the study. The university said, well, you can't choose where the funding goes, but you can give it to the university. But that's a side story that would probably take us off track. Um, but basically after announcing the results, then people said, okay, well, how can we get this pendant? And they showed up at the office. And then this is where we had now what the pendant is. It's a combination of, obviously in the hepatitis C, there was an emphasis on the liver biosignature. But the pendant is really just introducing, and that's the emitter I was saying people can go in and just download off the website and play around with. It's under resources on the biogeometry website if they scroll all the way down. Um, but it has, uh, that pendant had more of an emphasis on liver biosignatures. But what we do now is we combine a set of biosignatures across the whole body, and then we put them in the energy system. And that's how we begin to center the energy exchange of the organ with the environment. And so we've seen in a recent, for example, in a recent um, PhD, this was actually tested as a, an interior design strip with depressed mice, showing that it raised their serotonin levels as much as the most common drugs on the market do for this case. Wow, that is so cool. Sorry. I was just looking for my biosignatures book for a show and tell. But, oh, actually, uh, Doria, I, so, uh, I should have mentioned that. On, I yeah. should have mentioned that so, there's a book and you can see the biosignatures there. And, it's an amazing on. book. I'd recommend anybody. And uh, your father has a new book coming out, which I'm very excited to read. Um, so I'll tell you what, since we're needing to finish up here, can you? Uh, are there any other comments you'd like to make or things that you'd like to cover that we haven't? Or an additional, maybe tell us where we can find all these things and find you and how people could sign up for a study if they care to. Um, I mean, as far as finding us, it's uh, if you go on the website, it's biogeometry.ca or .com. On there, they'll find courses and events. If they scroll down, they'll see the resources. Those who like what we spoke about with the horizontal and vertical pendulum, they'll actually also find that pendulum manual um on there so if they felt like we because we obviously we we didn't explain it from the beginning but the manual has the development process there's two books and um well it's it was 
I mean, really nice to come on this podcast, I'll say, because yesterday we actually sent the book out <laughs> and it's so it's it left our hands after a year or two of just um, editing. Well, for me, it was editing for my father writing. And Here's so a little that. pamphlet that comes yeah. with those pendulums. And I think that's what you're referring to. Yes. So that's available as a PDF. And I think for those who wanted to see the technical aspect of the pendulum, um, that's there. I mean, it's, it's, they can read through it. There's two books, uh, like you mentioned, the courses, um, and we're working on more and more resources. Beautiful. So, um, so biogeometry.com, uh, biogeometryshop.com for products. I'll put all those uh, links in the show notes below, guys. So please go there. And there's um, they have uh, resellers you can go to to get products. There's all sorts of ways to get products. Excuse me from them. Uh, one one question in the excuse me in the chat that is coming up since the Oregon thing with the Organite people a lot of people in our community make their own Organite. Um, they're wondering what is the what would be the most ideal shape then for say if you're going to be using that to remediate electro smog in your house or like what a lot of us do is we go quote unquote bust. 5G towers, um, is there an ideal shape? I mean, with the pyramid shape, um, if usually what we do is if you can actually copy the actual indent that's there, then you would be doing that until you get that BG3 energy quality. Or even just if you're using the hemisphere shape, just again, looking at it in sacred architecture and doing those elongations. Um, and so those are all those would be at least corrections for those shapes um, that they would be that they would be doing. Ideally, as well, I mean, um, if somebody was to learn and measuring with the BG sixteen isn't difficult to learn. We hope to have um, once my, the book is out, which is, was out, uh, like I mentioned, we sent it out yesterday. We're going to be working on hopefully some more public videos, even just showing how to basically measure this BG three energy quality, and so. It's not just the shape, but in actually the creation process itself. Um, this can be implemented from the start. So another good reason for learning biogeometry in that even if you're involved in another technology, you can really refine it to another whole level. Beautiful. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today, Doria. Uh, this has been Absolutely. such an educational and illuminating and inspirational talk. Guys, please go to biogeometry.com to find out more. And uh, what's up with uh, any classes coming up or how would someone join to actually go into the coursework that like Bear did? Uh, so um, since COVID, there has been online classes. Um, hopefully physical classes or the live classes will pick up again soon. Um, and then just if they go to the calendar, um, courses and events, uh, I know that we... Myself and, and my sister have a class in March. Uh, Dr. Gilbert has a class in February. And then you also have another instructor in Europe, uh, um, Chris Attar. And he'll also teach. I'm talking about the English classes now. And he'll he'll also add uh, classes regularly every month. So there'll be, no matter what time zone you're on, um, there'll be a class for you, hopefully. Just keep an eye out on the calendar. If you go in and something and the classes are full or the times don't work, there are more added a lot. Fantastic. And uh, I think I'm going to take a refresher course pretty soon myself because it's mm -hmm. been a while. 
Uh, so, uh, you know, just keep up on everything. So thank you again so much. And I really look forward to meeting you in person someday. And now that uh, hopefully the plan is traveling a little more freely, you know, we can make that happen. I, I unfortunately had to do mine Before coming on air, both of you mentioned mm-hmm. Egypt being on your bucket list. So oh, that there would you go. be very easy. Um, that if, would be uh, so amazing to take a course there. Yeah. And hopefully, I mean, we are, and, and obviously since you've taken the classes, there was always the plan to do a biogeometry event in Egypt. Um, mm-hmm. And now that the book is is out and we can focus on those new levels and different things, I mean, hopefully that plan will happen sooner than later. Um, How cool yeah. would it be to go to Giza and, and do the measurements there and really see the see the where it all came from and the, uh, the, the true sort of pragmatic effects of it and everything? That would be really phenomenal. So, And wow. we do do that. We have classes here. We try. We go to the pyramids and go inside and try to do some measurements there. And it's it's always fun to do. Mm, that sounds so fun. Well, thanks so much, Doria, for joining us today. I hope you guys all enjoyed this. If you do, give us a thumbs up, share it with your friends and family. It really helps us out, get this information going to those who really need it more than ever. I would say it's such a fantastic solution for everyone. Uh, Thanks again, and we'll see you next week with Kathy O'Brien coming back on to bring some um, spiritual enlightenment through all the all the craziness she's been through. And Bear, you'll be down south. You'll be coming to us live and direct from beautiful uh, Southern California. Looking forward to it. Thanks, guys. My grandkids will be surfing in the backdrop at Rincon Beach during that episode. So that should be fun. (laughs) I will be extremely jealous. Okay. Thanks everyone. Happy holidays for those in uh, celebrating, please go uh, to our website. If you want more information on us, alphavedic.com, A-L-F-A-V-E-D-I-C.com, or you can join us on telegram t.me forward slash alphavedic or on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash alphavedic. Love you guys. See you next week. Later.